And please take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 22. You know, September 28th, 2018, we began our series in the book of Revelation. And today is the closing of that study. What a great time we've had looking through the Word. Um, we've found challenges. We've found passages of, of, of Scripture that are extremely encouraging. And now we come to the last part. And guess what? We're going to look at the last things about the last things. This is the conclusion of this book that is dedicated to the last things. And what we find in the 22nd chapter really is a message from the Lord Jesus Christ to all of us about the importance of looking to His return and about what awaits us, the hope that is ours because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. So as we look into the last things about the last things. Let's begin with the first verse of this 22nd chapter and look at what the Scripture says. Really, verses 1 through 5 could have been included with chapter 21 because it talks about heaven. And what it shares with us is as one who has a personal relationship with God, when it comes to the last things, we will be with God forever. Now, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around forever, isn't it you? I'm so used to beginnings and ends. Even this series has a beginning and it actually has an end today. But forever, no limit, no end, always in the presence of God. That's the description of what awaits the child of God. Look at the first verse of this 22nd chapter. And notice the Word of God says this, when the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the holy city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." This is a description of the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. This is shared with us in the 21st chapter, but here the Word of God drills down into something very important for us to understand, and that is this. God is the source of life. Notice again, it says that this crystal clear water was flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The throne represents the authority of God. It is the eternal place where God reigns and God rules and He exercises His sovereign control over everything. But from this throne comes life. And that life, I think, is an actual literal river that comes from the throne of God as a testament to the fact that God is life, and from Him springs the source of life for us all. What a beautiful picture of heaven. But then it goes on, and after it talks about this beautiful river that's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in verse 2, it talks about 
this through the middle of the street of the city on either side of the river, the tree of life. Now, the tree of life is a fascinating study when you look through the Word of God. It's introduced to us even in the book of Genesis, in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. The Word of God says this in the book of Genesis. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to what? The tree of life. Now, we don't know exactly what this tree of life is, but I'll tell you it's important enough to be mentioned multiple times in Scripture. And what it shares with us is very much like what the river of life shares with us. The source of life is God. He is the one who gives life, eternal life. And this will be such a part of heaven, prominently displayed on Main Street, this tree of life coming from God or the people of God. I don't know about you, but man, I can't wait to see that. What a blessing that will be to see the beauty, the symbolism, the truth of this passage of Scripture lived out, not just as a glimpse, but through eternity, forever, in the presence of God. Now, on a practical level, this gives us a great deal of hope, doesn't it? For those who have lost loved ones in the faith, we share this not only with God, but with them. What a blessing to know that there is that eternally. For those of us who are getting more gray hairs on top, and probably the end of our life is closer than the beginning of our life, that's hope. That's something we look toward. That's something we count on. As I watched a faithful man go home to be with the Lord this week. I read him passages of Scripture like this. And the joy on his face as he thought about these things, as he faced a horrible death, that speaks volumes. This is why God gives us passages of Scripture like this, not so that intellectually we'll walk around and say, hey, I know a little bit more about heaven. It's hope. It's peace. It's promise. But then the text goes on, and in verses 3 through 5, John begins to talk about the face of God being with us forever and ever. Look at the third verse with me. No longer will there be anything accursed. Now, the accursed comes as a result of sin. Sin is done. All of the death, all of the brokenness, all of the things that have caused God to curse this world because of sin are a thing of the past forever. It's done. But then the text goes on to say, there will no longer be anything cursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Think of heaven. Now, some of us are frightened, as I said last week, of this idea of eternal worship of God. We think in terms of fatigue, 
Getting tired? Personal preferences about the music? <laughs> As a matter of fact, I got to tell you this. There was a man in my previous church that hated contemporary Christian music. And so I was joking with him one day, and I said, Art, man, what are you going to do when you get to heaven and there are drums in heaven? And he very quickly responded, I'll think I'm in the other place. <laughs> Listen, worship is going to be something that focuses our hearts on God. Think of worship as a response to God. It's not programmed. It's not demanded. It's not like heaven says, okay, it's such and such a clock. It's time for us to worship. It's every day looking at God saying, wow, and the only response we can possibly have is worship, and that's the way it is for eternity. Each day learning something new and exciting and different about God, and the only response that I can have is, wow, God, that just makes me want to worship you. Not forced, not programmed, but a response. This is what we'll be doing in heaven. Notice the text goes on in verse 4 to say this, and this is the part that really captured my thought as I looked at this text. They will see His face. Now, when we look in the Scripture, there are a lot of passages that talk about the face of God turning away from people in their brokenness and in their sin, because as a holy God, that fellowship that we have with God was broken. That's done. In heaven, we will see God's face. You know what that means? Perfect fellowship. Perfect fellowship. Think about you. When there's somebody who has offended you that you're not on really great terms with, you don't put your face toward them, do you? You look away. I don't want to see this person. You don't want to make much eye contact. There's a broken fellowship there, and it's in terms of your face that it's described often in Scripture because that's what people do. That's no longer the case with God. In the presence of God, we will see His face, never hidden from us, always looking face to face with God. How I look forward to that day when I can see God face to face. We've lived most of our lives with the unseen God, but there is coming a time for eternity where we will see Him face to face, and that's what this passage of Scripture encourages us with. And notice this, His name will be on our foreheads. Now, we've seen in the book of Revelation that the mark of the beast was on the foreheads of some, and it was a statement of ownership, the idea that the Antichrist, the beast, had ownership over these people who had signed themselves on to His purpose and His plan. In heaven, the name of God on our foreheads is speaking of our relationship once again with God. We belong to Him, and He belongs to us. We identify with God perfectly and completely, so that's the hope of heaven that is shared in this passage. And then look at verse 5. The night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the hope of heaven. 
When we see God, when we fellowship perfectly with Him, there won't be fatigue. There won't be, you know, lunch is in just a few minutes. I shouldn't have said that. Now you're thinking about it. <laughs> we won't be thinking, well, it's getting kind of late. You know, this worship service has got an end. We'll be always in the presence of God, always responding to His glory, no fatigue, no wearing down, going and going and going, way past the Energizer Bunny. We have eternity with God in the light of His glory, seeing glorious things. What hope this passage of Scripture gives us. But then in the closing thought, starting at verse 6, the book of Revelation moves into several statements that the first and the last the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. And listen, when you have heard from somebody and they're getting ready to finish what they're saying, you want to listen up to those closing words. These are the final instructions. It very much reminds me of the upper room discourse that Jesus had with his disciples when he was saying, listen to these important things that I'm about to share with you. Well, that's what we find here in this text. And when Jesus says his final thoughts, what he begins with is this faithful and trustworthy truth of this prophecy. As we've gone through the book of Revelation, we have seen some startling things. We have seen the path, the course, the journey that this world will go through leading up to Christ coming back victoriously and establishing His kingdom on earth, reigning for a thousand years, judging the wicked, rewarding the righteous, and spending eternity with Him. Do you know what? The words of our Lord are to us. Look carefully at that sixth verse. And it says this. These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place. So here is testimony from heaven that the words of the prophecy of this book are absolutely true. It's not hyperbole. It's not guesswork. It's an outline of the things to come. These are things that God wants us to know. God sent word through His prophets. He sent word of testimony through His angels. And so as we have studied the book of Revelation, and as we consider the conclusion of the book of Revelation, there is authority behind these words. We're reminded of that. We should see this book as the Word of God, the very Word of God that is spoken to us. But then we get this statement from Christ, verse 7, and behold... Now, as we've gone through our study in the book of Revelation, we see that that word behold means pay special attention. Look and get ready for this. That's the idea, right? And look at what he says behold about. I am coming soon. Several times in these closing thoughts, Jesus gives the promise of I am coming soon. 
Now, it's been 2,000 years, approximately, since this was uttered. How can we say that Jesus is coming soon when it's 2,000 years? Well, listen, 2,000 years compared to 100 years of life, that's a long time. 2,000 years compared to eternity is not even a blip. So when the Word of God says Jesus is coming soon, it's not talking necessarily about duration. It's talking more about eminence. This can come at any time. Live in a way that it could come in the next few moments. Think of how you would live if you thought about the return of Christ coming soon. Would it change your perspective? Would it change your values? Would it change your choices? I think for the church, and I'm not just talking our church, I'm talking Christians, the idea of the imminent return of Christ has lost its sway in our lives, and we don't live in light of it. Here, the very words of our Savior, behold, I am coming soon. And look at what He calls us to do. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, what is He saying in, in, in that statement? The book of Revelation is a call to faithfulness. The book of Revelation is a call of the response of our lives to the truths of God. So what he's saying in this is, don't just read this and accumulate the information of the book of Revelation and walk away as a prophecy expert. Read the book of Revelation and walk away knowing that obedience is essential. Don't just be a hearer of the Word, but be a doer. Respond to the truths that God has given you. Soon we're going to begin a series that's called Changed Minds, Changed Lives. As a matter of fact, it begins next week, and that's going to be our summer series. We're going to look into the fact that we need to change our thinking, and once we change our thinking, we will change our practices. And we're going practically into these things to try and grow in our walk with God. But really, this is what Jesus is saying to us right here in this verse. Change your outlook. This is the Word of God. This is truth. Live in light of that truth. Then look at verses 8 through 11. It goes on to say, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Now, here is an admission, a mea culpa by John. He was so caught up in the wonder and the glory of the prophecy of the book. He was in the moment. He did something that he shouldn't have done. He fell at the feet of one that he should not worship. Isn't it easy for us as human beings to worship the wrong thing? It's easy for any of us to get caught up in the moment and to take our focus off of God and to direct it toward a hobby, toward a sport, toward anything that replaces God. 
In this case, John was directing it toward the messenger of God. And listen, that's one of the worst mistakes that we can make. Never elevate the created over the Creator. Never take a Bible teacher, a pastor, or anyone and put them on a pedestal and say, this is a person that's worthy of my worship. But understand that God alone is deserving of our worship. And John was corrected on this. Look at what verse 9 says. But he said to me, you must not do that. Isn't it intriguing? Every time we see an angel in the Scripture being worshipped, they do the back off boogaloo. You know, they, they immediately say, don't do that. I'm the created, not a creator. This is what this angel does. And he points John away from him. And he says, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. There's some beautiful truths in this passage. The big idea is worship God. Always look to the Creator, never the created. But there's also insight into our relationship with angels. We are fellow servants with angels. Did you catch that? God has us working together for His purpose and His plan. What a blessing. What a wonder it is to have this kind of relationship. Then look at verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the book, for the time is near. In other words, listen, the book of Revelation isn't something that we're to avoid. A trend in many churches, and this frustrates me, is to seal up the book of Revelation. It's too complicated. It's too controversial. Nobody should study the book of Revelation. Nobody can understand it. I see scriptural authority that teaches the opposite. And so we listen to the authority of God. Do not seal up this book of prophecy. Jesus' time is near. That's what it's referring to. And then verse 11. And this is one that really throws people. Let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Now, is he telling people just not to change? No, what he's saying, and he's laying this out for what follows, is this. If you continue down the path that you continue, and you have a choice to do that, if you're going to be filthy, you can choose to be filthy. Go wallow in your sin. You have the freedom to make that choice. If you choose to do evil, you're going to have opportunity to do evil. Just stay that path, stay that course if that's your choice. And if you're righteous, if you have seen that I can be made right by God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you follow that path. Don't play tennis vacillating between the two. If you're righteous, live righteously. Don't live sinfully. Don't buy in to the sin that's all around us. Don't compromise embracing the evil that's all around us. That's the word from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So what he's saying basically is this. Look, if, if the Word of God is true, and if it's true, your response is to practice it, practice it with consistency. Don't go back and forth. Don't muddle in the middle. Don't try and play both sides. Live for God. Next statement that's made. Figure out what path you will follow in light of the truths that we've looked at. Look at verse 12. The word of the Lord once again, and this is what he says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, what we want to see, first of all, in this 12th verse is very important. Jesus Christ is coming again. He reminds us of this. But He says, I am bringing my recompense with me to repay each one according to what He has done. Now, this word recompense, what does it mean? What does it mean that He will recompense, He will repay for what people have done? When you look up the word in the original language... This word recompense can be positive or it can be negative. Kind of like our word payback, right? Somebody does something awful and what goes around comes around comes to them. We say, yeah, payback's a wonderful thing, right? We're talking vengeance. We're talking them getting what they deserve because they were rotten, right? But then the idea that you have done something wonderful for somebody And man, I I want to pay back, you know. I I want to respond to what you've done and bless you for the way that you've blessed me. That can have a very positive connotation. Same thing true of this word. You see, for the ones who remain filthy and evil, recompense does not have a good overtone. They will have to be judged for the wickedness that they've done. But for the righteous and for the holy, there is reward, rich reward by God Himself for our faithfulness. You know, as believers, we so often settle for the immediate rather than looking to the eternal. And as a result, we make choices that are awful. God wants us to be people who are faithful, living in the light of His truth. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Now, one path that we can follow is having our robes cleansed. And you know what the word means when it's talking about cleansed robes? It's talking about a life that has been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Following that path brings us into all that was described in the first part of this text and in chapter 21. Isn't that the more logical path to follow? But then notice verse 15. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. For the people who remain in their sin and do not find the forgiveness of God and are defined as sinners, 
not the forgiven, they remain outside these promises, never experiencing right relationship with God, fellowship with God, right standing. Jesus is saying this to cause us to do inventory. Which path have I been following? And folks, I don't care if you made a profession of faith when you were young. What are you doing now? How are you living? Are you living in light of the truth of God in this passage? Or are you following the path of the wicked, disregarding God and choosing to do your own thing? Jesus calls you to do inventory and to soul search. And listen, if you had your robes cleansed by your personal faith in Jesus Christ, live like it. That's what Jesus is saying. Third statement that Jesus makes. Find Jesus as your Savior if you're on the wrong path. I love the offerings of grace that we find throughout the Word of God. Sometimes as the church, we're accused of just condemning sin. And listen, sin should be condemned. But let me remind you, there is a gracious God who says to us, it doesn't have to be that way. I've made a way for you to be delivered from sin and to live eternally with me, and that's through Jesus Christ. Look at that 16th verse, and notice it says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. In other words, Jesus is giving testimony to the fact that what John shares, once again, is true, and it's not to be sealed up, it's not to be kept quiet, it's to be shared with the churches. In other words, these truths are to influence the way we as believers, the church of God, live and think. But then he goes on to say this, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. When Jesus is sharing this, He's talking about His authority. I am the Messiah, the promised one of God. I am the King of kings. I am the hope that comes just as that morning star shows on the horizon and tells us, hey, dawn is coming. Jesus is all of that. And He's our hope and our promise. And we look to Him. Verse 17 says this, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take water from the tree of life without price. Are you thirsty this morning? I'm not talking physically thirsty. I'm talking spiritually thirsty. Are you disconnected from God? If you've never come to a personal relationship with God, God offers the water of life. And it's through the one who is speaking, Jesus, that you find it. There's an open invitation to you this morning. Drink from the water of life that Jesus gives freely.
If you're a believer, you haven't been living the way that you need to live, and the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart, and you know in your heart, man, I am not in fellowship with God. Don't let it hang out there. Make a decision of commitment to follow Him. That's what God is calling us to. That's the only response that we should have to the one who is the root of Jesse, the bright and morning star, the one who washes our robes and makes them white. Final thought. As we come to the last part of this passage, there's a warning. We are not to be frauds when it comes to the truth that God has revealed. And look at this warning. It's a serious one. In verse 18, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Now, this is a serious warning. I mean, having gone through the book of Revelation and seeing the plagues that are visited upon the earth, God takes very seriously the idea of adding to His Word. It leads people astray. Listen, God reveals His Word to give us truth, and it is the truth that He wants us to have. And when somebody comes along and says, hey, you know, what what the Bible says there isn't right, I have the latest word from God, disregard it. It's nonsense. There were those who were tempted to add to the book of Revelation. I have tried to be very careful as I've gone through the book of Revelation not to add my own spin on the ideas, but just to share what the Word of God shares. And that's the way we should approach it. Don't add to it. Don't put your own ideas in and have them on par with what God has revealed. God is perfect at revealing what He wants us to know. And so the warning that Jesus gives is, don't mess with the book. Don't add to it. Now, verse 19, if you thought verse 18 was unsettling, look at verse 19. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, many have looked at this passage of Scripture and they've said, "Uh uh-oh, I believe in eternal security that once you are a follower of God, you are always a follower of God and nothing will ever take that away. And they get rattled when they see this and they say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't look like that's what that's talking about. How do we deal with this? Listen, there are many times in Scripture where God speaks of taking away reward and we conflate that with the idea of salvation. And I believe that's what's going on here. If you remember a little bit earlier, The Word of God was talking about being at the throne of God, and in the fifth verse, it says, we will reign with God forever and ever. When we look at our portion, what we share with God, part of that will be by the tree of life, reigning with God. Well, guess what? If I take away from the book of the prophecy, it's not that I am losing my salvation, but I am losing my position of reward And my place that I would have had a share in, maybe higher up, further along, in regard to my position with the tree of life, it's not talking about my salvation, it's talking about my reward. 
And that's what we need to look to as believers. My place in heaven is reserved the moment I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior settled. However, my position and what I do for eternity as far as my reward, that definitely depends on how I serve God here and now. And that's something we need to understand with clarity. Too many of us settle for the things of this world and this life rather than the things of God, and we sell ourselves short. We take the immediate forgetting about the eternal. I've seen some game shows where they'll offer a kid $5 now or $500 at the end of the show, and the kid says, yeah, give me the $5, and the parents are, no, you know, as they're off in the background. That's sort of what we do, isn't it? I'll take this bobble, this trinket, this experience that I know is not pleasing to God. And so what if I lose my reward? No big deal. I'll be in heaven anyway. Listen, I think you're going to have a hugely different perspective when you're in heaven anyway. <laughs> I think we would look back and say, wow, missed opportunity. I could have done so much more. I could have done so much more if I hadn't been so short-term in my thinking. God wants us to be people who have long-term thinking, who think about the things of God, the final statement that Jesus makes is the huge perspective builder. It goes on to say, verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. This book, this study in Revelation has been so eye-opening for me as I've gone through it. It's a huge perspective builder about how easy it is to lose sight of the fact that God reigns. And when Jesus says, I am coming soon, He's telling us a couple of things. One, His coming soon is hope to those who are facing death or struggle or torment. Jesus coming soon is hope that things get a whole lot better, right? But you know, the coming soon is also found in Scripture in multiple places to refer to the idea that we need to wake up. We need to stop just mailing it in and living our Christian lives in a way that just goes on automatic pilot and never really thinks about the intimacy of our relationship with God and His worthiness to receive praise from me. And by the way, guys, praise isn't just joining with Dan, as beautiful as the music is, and singing on Sunday morning. It's a life that responds to the glory of God. So let me encourage you this morning, respond to the glory of God. He's coming soon. Don't be the person who muddles in the middle 
who vacillates paths, be the one that pursues that path of righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this text. Thank You for the call that it is to us all to live in light of the truth of this book. God, may we be faithful to live it out in a way that pleases You. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.